Hello and welcome to Rollins Around Town. I'm Sam Stark and I serve as the Vice President of Communications and External Relations here at Rollins College. Rollins Around Town is a showcase of outstanding people who make dynamic and important contributions to the Rollins campus and or throughout Central Florida. In either case, these are difference makers who uplift the mission and brand of Rollins or who help make our region a special place to live, learn, and work. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Randy Knowles, publisher and CEO of Winter Park Publishing Company. Winter Park Publishing Company uh, in includes Winter Park Magazine, Florida Homebuyer Orlando, Arts Life, Broadway at the Dr. Phillips Center, and several annual contract publications. So, Randy, welcome to Rollins Around Town, and thanks for being our guest today. Thank you, Sam. Great to be here. So, let's start. If you would, just give us sort of your quick version of where, where, where you grew up and what brought you to, to Central Florida, Randy. Well, I'm a Maitland kid. Uh, we moved to Central Florida in 1968, just pre-Disney. And my dad was actually the publisher of a weekly newspaper in Winter Park called the Winter Park Sun-Herald, which had been around for since the 40s. It was the amalgamation of several other earlier new weekly newspapers in Winter Park. So... He would come to work every day, and during the summers, I would spend time with uh, with him at his office on Park Avenue. It was where the, the Burger Fi is. That whole block, actually, was the Winter Park Sun-Herald office. Fantastic. Had printing presses, and it was just a whole big... It's hard to imagine now, but that's what it looked like then. And uh, so I grew up uh, running up and down Park Avenue and going in, the, in and out of the stores. So Winter Park is, is really home to me, although we were originally from Alabama. So you can imagine there was some culture shock when we moved from from Alabama to a place like Winter Park, which is like nowhere else in the world, right. especially not like Alabama. I so. can imagine. Yep. That's fantastic. Yep. And so you went to school at UCF? I went to, uh, well, I went to uh, Domerick Elementary School, Winter Park High School, and then UCF, which yeah. was then uh, FTU right. at the time. And I was a journalism major. Yeah. And uh, um, I'm one of the few people I know that actually ended up doing for a living, what I what I majored in. <laughs> right. My wife was a theater major, and she's a lawyer now. So, right. You know, most people end up going in different directions. But I always wanted to know what I wanted what I what I wanted to do. Always knew uh, that I wanted to write and publish, and that's what I've been doing ever since. That's amazing. What was your first job? My first job was working for my dad actually uh, when I was a kid. But my first real job was when I was at uh, first journalism job was when I was at FTU. Um, FTU was near Oviedo, which everybody that lives around here now knows it as a pretty good-sized town. Mm -hmm. But back in the early 70s, it had a population of 1,200 people, and it was entirely isolated just in the middle of nowhere. You might as well have been in 1930 if you stumbled upon Oviedo. Right. Had one stoplight, uh, one grocery store, one bank, uh, a handful of mom-and-pop merchants on a two-block downtown, but it also had a weekly newspaper. So I was a stringer. I covered high school sports and city commission meetings and things like that uh, for the couple who owned it. And I decided when I was doing that part-time job that that's really what I wanted to do was to work in community publications. Most of my peers, this was during the Watergate era, they wanted to go work for a big newspaper, be the next Woodward or Bernstein. <laughs> but And most of them ended up at the Sentinel. But um, I ended up with two friends of mine buying the Outlook. We went to the bank and borrowed the money, right. a tiny amount of money at the time, 
and I was a newspaper publisher when I was 21 years old in this little tiny town. And the great thing about it was Oviedo had a population of 1,200 people, but the Oviedo Outlook had a paid circulation of 1,200 (laughs) copies. So it's the only newspaper that I know that you could really say like what had 100% market (laughs) saturation in this little town. But the great thing about it was um, at the Sentinel, you would be on a beat. That's back when newspapers had lots of employees. Right. You could have had the education beat or city commission beat or uh, business beat or, or any any number of specialties. But at a weekly, you got to do a little of every, You did the whole thing. Right. Uh, I might cover a city commission meeting on Tuesday and then go to a high school football game on Friday night and cover that. And because the newspaper was so influential in its little sphere, you felt like what you wrote you know, everybody read and, and, and you could make a little bit of a difference in a small town like that. Yeah. Well, I think you clearly do that with probably, in your, you know, with all the publications in their own right. Winter Park Magazine, I think, plays that, you know, and, and maybe you'd agree with sort of the signature publication. Can, can you tell us sort of what's the goal? What's, what's, what's your why every day that you get up and, and publish that's a fantastic Winter Park Magazine? Well, it, it's really all about Winter Park itself. I don't think what we do is transferable to most other towns, but Winter Park, um, it's not just about being affluent, which it is generally, but uh, it's also a place where people really appreciate the history of the community, uh, the arts and culture. It's packed with interesting people, either who are doing interesting things now or are retired from having done just incredible things. And of course, it has Rollins right in the middle of it, and the histories of the two places are just thoroughly intertwined. So a lot of our content comes from uh, things that are going on at Rollins. And it's also a magazine for people that like to read. And that's one thing we found about Winter Park is if you want to find out the 10 places that make the best hot dogs or something like that, (laughs) probably you don't want to read Winter Park magazine. But if you're really interested in the the history of the community, the people that live here, and you you like to read in-depth stories uh, about those things, that's what we do. And uh, kind of interesting thing is when we, we started it, I had an audience in mind. It's like actors say they, when they're performing, they have one person in mind that they want to sort of play to and, and right. please that person. And if they please that person, they figure they've done a good job. Ours was Thad Seymour, who was president of Rollins. Yep. And I figured if we can do a, if we could do a magazine that Thad Seymour would enjoy reading, then we've got it licked, right? You know, <laughs> good, that's that. That was our audience was Thad Seymour. A good test, and uh, and he ended up being a big a big fan and supporter, and actually wrote something for us one time. Yeah, right, toward toward the end of his life, and and uh, uh, it's just great to to be in a town like this where where what you do seems appreciated, and and where you can like in the case of the Oviedo Outlook make a difference. Not so much in a political way, but but by making people aware of how special this place is because of everything that's happened from the 1880s forward, not only in the town but at Rollins. Yeah, um, there aren't too many little towns that have the rich history that this town does or that this campus does. Yeah, and, and there's I, never a shortage of stuff to to write about. That seems to be such uh, part of I think the refreshing uh, content and desire for people to get it and read it because arguably. 
realistically every other media outlet media source has some sort of political angle political slant well they have a political angle or a political slant or they're aimed at the lowest common denominator they want to reach everybody in the world right and um we don't we just want to reach people who like what we do the way we do it and winter park is luckily you know has a lot of people like that yeah so considering all of your other publications, what, what role do you, you know, does Winter Park Publishing Company play in Central Florida? And you know, why, you know, why is Central Florida better because of Winter Park Publishing Company? I don't know that Central Florida is better. I think Winter Park is, is, is better. I think we're an asset to the community. Uh, I, I wouldn't want to say on, on par with you know, Rollins or the Morse Museum or some of these major institutions, but I do think we have a role to play in creating a sense of community here. That's one thing that's always been true about Winter Park is that it sort of existed in a bubble around uh, the greater Orlando area, which uh, has grown really rapidly. Winter Park's been built out for decades. It's been what it is. And people who live in Winter Park are very proud of it. And what I think the magazine does, what we try to do is give them more reasons to be proud of it or give them a basis for being proud of it. Right by showcasing what's great about it and and all the things that led up to making it the city that it is today and um you know i, I just believe that that like a community newspaper in Oviedo, a magazine like ours kind of is a cohesive force it can kind of bring people together it's something everybody can agree that they enjoy reading and it's knowledge they can all share about their community and it makes them appreciate where they live more yeah but you are, but you do the publications at the Dr. Phillips Performing Arts Center, and I think you've said Arts Life. Yep. Uh, so talk about those because those yeah. clearly are, are, you know, are Central Florida and, and regional. Yeah, um, those those are. Um, we do uh, the Broadway shows, the playbills mm-hmm. for the Broadway shows at the Dr. Phillips Center. Uh, usually, it's Playbill Capital P that pr- publishes the playbills in these. Uh, local and regional performing arts centers as well as on Broadway. But uh, they went with a local company with us for, for their playbills, and we also do a quarterly magazine for them that just talks about acts that are coming to the Dr. Phillips Center, concerts, stand-up comedians, that sort of thing. And we recently picked up uh, the magazine for United Arts, which is called Orlando Arts, right. and has been around for 17 or 18 years, but was done by another company. And we picked that up, so we, we've on the other end of Winter Park Magazine, we're sort of cornering the arts market in greater central Florida. Yeah. And um, Orlando Arts in particular is the only publication in town that covers every or- arts organization and, and what they're doing. And, you know, the newspaper, the daily paper, has only one arts writer anymore. They used to have four or five. Right. And they just can't get to everything. And... Uh, Orlando Arts gets to pretty much everything from the museums to to the uh, to the concert venues to individual artists and individual musicians and it's just a a, a roundup of everything that's happening in the arts yeah it's fantastic if I if I'm, my memory's right Winter Park magazine used to be a standalone publication and was on the verge of discontinuing operations or, or selling to, to some other sort of media giant and and you led an innovative and community-driven effort to 
to save the magazine. I think, and, and out of full disclosure, you had some community investors, and, and I'm a teeny, 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 tiny one of those, so I just felt well, they're like all teeny, tiny, but, but that was the great thing about it. That was by design, right? So we wanted a, a broad swath of the community to be involved. But what happened was we were part of a, a larger company. We were part of Gulf Shore Media, which okay. also publishes Sarasota Magazine and right. Gulf Shore Life Magazine in Naples. And over the years, Sarasota Magazine got sold off to a large national company. Then Gulf Shore Life got sold off to a large national company. And all we were left with was Winter Park, or you know, our Central Florida operation, which included Winter Park Magazine. And the majority owner at the time, who's also a good friend of mine, said, well, I always said if it ever came down to this, you would have right of first refusal to, to buy it out. But if you don't want it, I'm going to put it on the market for um, the companies that, that bought, bought the other properties. Right. But I did want it, but I didn't have any money. <laughs> uh, but uh, so what we did was, um, I think this is probably unique in the, in the history of, not maybe not the history of publishing, but it, it's, it's, it's unique in the current history of publishing anyway in that we, we formed an LLC, and I got together with um, Alan Keene and Rick Walsh. Alan is on a, fa a past trustee chairman here yep. at Rollins. Had him on the show. Yep, and he's a, a developer as well. And Rick is a retired Darden uh, restaurants executive who I went to FDU with. We were, he was student body president. I was editor of the newspaper That's at fantastic. FDU. That's fantastic. I didn't know that. That's a great yep. piece. And... Um, we, we discussed how to go about doing it, and we came up with the idea of forming an LLC, and we made a list of people that we wanted to be involved in it, and it was a long, long list. We didn't want any one person to have a big chunk, but right. we wanted a, a big cross-section of people that were uh, active in the community and that appreciated the magazine and would want to help see it remain locally owned. and. In about a week's time, we had sold all these shares and and uh, taken over the company and formed Winter Park Publishing LLC. And I guess we're in, we're in our fourth year now, fantastic under that structure. And we have uh, uh, sixty-eight shareholders. <laughs> so um, it could be an unwieldy meeting, but luckily we have a just a six-member board. Right, we meet once a quarter. And um, one thing that people always ask, one thing people brought up and came up on social media a few times is when we first started to do this, um, people that were fans of the magazine said, well, it's all going to change now because all the rich people in Winter Park who want to <laughs> pave it over are going to buy it and it's going to be just become a mouthpiece for them. And number one, I knew the kind of people we were recruiting weren't that way. Right. And number two, after four years of, of operating under this structure, I can honestly say that nobody who is on our board or nobody who owns shares has ever called me up and said, uh, I want you to do a sister uh, a feature on my sister's new business or right. uh, I have a new project going on. I want that on the cover. Right. They genuinely got involved because they thought it was good for the community to have the magazine here and to have it locally owned. Yeah. And that was their only motivation, which people find really hard to believe, but it's, <laughs> I can honestly say it's true. It's good people. Uh, and that was actually one of my, my next questions. Was, you have a great staff and, and, and the board, which is made up of the ownership group, and I was going to ask you, is it, is it a complicated business operations structure for you? 
you know, and are you able to lead and guide, you know, in the purest sense of your training and experience um, based on, um, you know, y- your years in the industry? Well, it theoretically could be, but it's not thanks no. to the kind of people that are on the board. Yeah. All they are interested in <clears throat> is meeting once a quarter and looking at our financials. And none of them are in the publishing business and none of them claim to have great expertise, but they've been really successful in other in other fields. And they bring up ideas. Uh, we talk about uh, what story possibilities might be, uh, but they, they, they are totally uninvolved in the day-to-day operation right? because they, they leave that to me and, and uh, well, you have a good track record of running it, so I think that's that's yeah. why they leave it to you. But they're they're a great bunch <laughs> yeah. in that they 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 totally leave me alone unless I need help, and then they're there when when we need help. Yeah. So you know the, the captain obvious question: how, how has business been, and how did you get through the last you know sixteen months? Well, this has been a I've been publishing a long time, and <clears throat> have been through recessions, and we went through the. Uh, a recession in the early 70s, <coughs> excuse me, and the, the great crash of 2007, 2008. But those were things you could kind of wrap your head around, like you knew what was going on, and you could sort of see it coming, and you knew you could, could ride it out, and it would be a finite thing. Right. Um, when we went into 2020, I was telling you earlier, I think that of the, of the top 50 things I, I had on my list to worry about whether we would have a good 2020 not, or not, uh, a pandemic was not right. in the top 50. Yeah. Uh, totally unprepared for it, as, as everybody, everybody was. And um, the interesting thing is we were working on our, our spring issue of Winter Park Magazine at the time, which came out in March 2020. And we had a meeting and seriously considered whether or not we should even publish because nobody knew it, it had just hit, and nobody knew if it was the end of the world or if it was going to be just a transitory thing that went away in a few months. Right. So I sent an email out to to all of our advertisers, and I said, "Our intention is to publish, and I hope you're with us, and I hope you have the attitude that we're going to come out at some point on the other end of this, and we're we're going to be here." And got tons of emails back from the business community saying yes we intend to advertise we're gonna we're gonna keep going uh, and so we published all through the pandemic and yeah. winter park magazine really never missed a beat That's fantastic um, everybody um, everybody was enthusiastic about I think in a lot of ways people were grateful to get in, in their homes during that time because people were staying at home more, right. obviously. They didn't have, you know, uh, places to go and things to do, and it was it was kind of a comforting thing to get a Winter Park magazine in the mailbox and, sure. and know they've got two or three hours of, of, of reading something that is diverting and entertaining. And we got a lot of comments after the pandemic. Well, it's not over yet, but as it started to ease more recently about how much they appreciated the fact that we kept going and how much they enjoyed getting the magazine during the worst part of it. And um, that made us feel good, too, because yeah. as media, we were we were uh, uh, exempt from having to, to shut down. So I went to work every day right. uh, through the whole thing. And and um, other than the fact that it was pretty lonely, <laughs> you know, it, it wasn't right. all that different for us. Right. 
is there an online component? You know, a lot of some of our listeners are, are out of market and alumni, and, and the, because it's a podcast, is there where, where can people find Winter Park Magazine yes, online? Uh, we uh, most of the content is online. Um, to get all of it, you you need to subscribe, which you can do by uh, on through the website, which is winterparkmag.org. And I'm sorry, winterparkmag.com. And uh, most of the content is also on the website. Yeah. And um, a lot of people in Winter Park have, have uh, we have a lot of subscribers from out of state because people leave for the summer or, or have second homes. And um, when we look at our web traffic, it's really from all over the world because yeah, a lot fantastic. of people know Winter Park. A lot of people visit here from the UK, you know, from, from, other, yeah. par- other parts of the world, South America, yeah. uh, it's a vacation destination. A lot of people don't think of it that way because it's kind of in the shadow of Disney. Right. But there are a lot of international visitors here, at least there were pre- pre-COVID and probably, you know, sure will be again. For sure. Who, who follow what goes on in town just like they live here. That's right. So shift gears a little bit to your educational uh, path. And, you know, you mentioned FTU, but... You also um, are a Rollins graduate. Uh, I am. You received a degree from the Holt School, and, and fairly recently, how how was that whole learning experience for you? Well, I'm glad to get an opportunity to plug this program. Um, when I turned 60, my bucket list still had get a master's degree on it, and it had been on there for 20 years. And there was always an excuse not to do it. You know, well, I'll do it next year, right? And I realized I was probably running out of years, you know, running, running out of time to do it. And Rollins offers a master's degree called uh, a Master of Liberal Studies. And when I told people I was going back for a master's degree at my age, I mean, number one, they thought I was probably nuts. <laughs> and number two, well, you're, you're doing an MBA, right, because you're in business. And why would I want an MBA? I do business all day long. You know, I want to do something totally for learning's sake just uh, to to make me a better rounded person and make me feel smarter anyway. Yeah. And the Master of Liberal Studies is for people who are interested in really everything, has aspects of literature, science, um, uh, world religions, uh, the classics, you name it, rock and roll. I took a class in rock, rock and roll, uh, history of rock and roll. And it's a three-year program, and I did it full-time. And... Um, graduated in uh, 2019 and I always tell everybody um, you think you can't do it but because of time or, or, or you're beyond where you want to work that hard right it's worth it it was worth it to me because I enjoyed every night that I went to school and um, the other great thing about the master of liberal studies is uh, the professors are all f- full tenured professors. You don't get any adjuncts. Uh, not that there's anything wrong with adjuncts, but but uh, they're they're really the cream of the crop yeah. that teach in that program. Yeah, and it's a terrific program. It won't get you a job uh, doing anything practical, except I do understand it helps you get hired as an English professor at Valencia sometimes. Okay, but it's really learning <laughs> just to learn. Right. Was it part of your um, was, uh, Curriculum, part of your your graduate requirement to to to, and you ended up writing a book. Yes, and and so uh, you wrote a book about the Holt School and Hamilton Holt. Rollins After Dark is the name of the book, and 
the Amazon website, if you want to look at it, uh, it says it's a fascinating exploration of the eclectic programs and larger-than-life personalities who began what would become today's Hamilton Holt School. So Rollins After Dark, tell us why you wrote it. Well, it was originally my master's thesis, but it also happened to coincide with the 60th anniversary of, of the Hamilton Holt School. It wasn't called the Hamilton Holt School 60 years ago, but the 60th anniversary of formal adult education in, at, at Rollins. And the interim dean, uh, Patricia Brown at the time, wanted a book to commemorate the 60th anniversary. And I was originally, I had mostly done another thesis. And she approached me about doing a, a different thesis, but doing it as a, as a book that would get published and used during all these giant commemorative celebrations that were going to occur in 2020, right. <laughs> none, of, none of which happened, but, exactly. but the book did come out. And um, I spent a lot of time in the archives uh, talking to people who had been involved in the early days of adult education here and found that it went way further back than 60 years. It, it really started in the, in the 30s with when Hamilton Holt was president. You just couldn't get a degree until 1960, but there was an adult education program here, you know, back in the 30s. And like a lot of things about Rollins, the history had a lot, lot of ups and downs, a lot of like really entertaining, unusual, eccentric characters in it. Um, the, the, the program um, thrived at times and, and was on the verge of going under at times. Right. But it really found its stride when, when uh, um, Thaddeus Seymour became president and reorganized it and, and decided that uh, really mandated that the Holt School be of equal quality with the day school, with the Liber College of Liberal Arts. And um, it's just been an incredible thing ever since for people who are non-traditional learners and you know have jobs or families or a little older. Uh, you get a, a comparable degree to a day school degree. And um, the graduations, I'm sure you've been to them, Sam. I mean, yep. they're, they're different than the day school graduations because there's a lot more whooping and hollering because right. people bring their families and their kids, and they're a lot of fun, and they're very inspiring. No doubt. There's always one or two just super stories of people who overcome all sorts of odds to, to go to college right. you know, and, and get a degree. And uh, I think it's, it's a great program, and I'm glad I was able to do this book. Um, and when I did it, I told uh, Pat Brown that I didn't want to do a brochure. I want to do a real book. And, and if, it's, uh, if there are things that are, that are uh, mistakes that were made, you know, I want to, I want to cover everything. Yeah. And, and, and uh, again, uh, nobody ever told me there was anything I couldn't write about or anything was hands-off. Uh, I was, had free reign to, to do it like I thought it should be done. And really enjoyed doing it. It was just it was difficult to do because there was no uh, nobody had ever really pieced together adult right. education. It had been in so many different forms and run by so many different people. There was no one place you could look and sort of find even an outline of of how it evolved over the years. Right. So. A lot of detective work, but it, it was fun. I love it. Well, Rollins After Dark, check it out. Uh, I know Amazon sells it, and maybe, maybe there's others, but um, the Rollins Bookstore has it as well. Yep. So check those out for sure. Uh, 
one other element that, that you um, are going to be looking into expanding is the Winter Park Institute, right? A Rollins um, a created program, a community speaker series in essence that um, Rollins sort of um, shelved for, for a little bit, but, but with your interest said, you know, that's something that, w- that makes a lot of sense for your company to, to, to take over and to, right, to push forward. So what's new with that? Obviously not much uh, because of the last, um, you know, t- 12 to 16 months. But what's the future of the Winter Park Institute? Well, there's there's some things I can't talk about quite yet, but but I can tell you how it, it came about was during the pandemic, and uh, the Winter Park Institute is is all about live events, right? And anybody who knows anything about Rollins uh, is familiar with it. So many famous people have come to Rollins uh, and given speeches uh, over. Uh, let's see how. Well, there was the animated magazine in the 30s, which is sort of its forerunner, but the Winter Park Institute was 10 or 12 years old, I guess. Yeah, 12. And um, had, a, had a large following in the community, had a great name, a great brand. Um, there were people who, who knew they were going to come to every Winter Park Institute lecture even before they knew who was going to be there because they just knew it would be good. It would be somebody interesting. Yep. And we sort of hated to see it go away, but it didn't really make any sense for Rollins to keep it around because there were no live events. And so Rollins was generous enough to uh, let us take over the name and the operation of it, but we sort of hibernated it for uh, the COVID months, although we did do a couple of Zoom events. We, we did a Zoom event with Billy Collins, uh, former two-term U.S. Poet Laureate. Yeah, fantastic. And uh, we did a more recent Zoom event with Arianna Huffington. Uh, but in 2022, we, we expect to get back to live events. Um, there's a terrific venue opening in Winter Park. As, as you know, the, the Library and Events Center is going to have an amphitheater and a, and a smaller indoor theater. Right. And we think that would be a great home for it. And, and um, we hope to, to you know, keep, keep it going the way Rollins did. I have no doubt that'll be great. It's a, it's an asset, and um, I think to your point, people look forward to the to the programming, uh, regardless of who the speakers are, because they know that the brand brings you know real quality uh, content. So absolutely, good luck with that. And thanks Thank for you. thanks for continuing that. So, you know, Rollins around town. Tell us where do you see Rollins around town? I mean, I know you see it a lot because of particularly the Winter Park Magazine, and you're here, and, and some of your board, but. How, you know, if somebody came to town and didn't know much about Rollins, what, what would you say the importance or the impact of Rollins around Central Florida is? Well, Rollins, there wouldn't be a winter park without Rollins and vice versa. Right. They're, they're just one and the same, really. Yeah. Um, they were started by the same people at the same time, um, and their histories are, are, are intertwined. And... The great thing about Rollins, one of the great things, is it's, number one, it's physical beauty. It's one of the most beautiful campuses you'll find anywhere. But a lot of small liberal arts colleges were that started when Rollins started were out in the middle of nowhere and still are. I mean, they're in small towns. Uh, the great thing about Rollins is it has um, that small town vibe to it, being right in the heart of Winter Park. But it's also in Metro Orlando, so um, you're not in... Uh, with all due respect to Grinnell College, you know, great college, but it's in Grinnell, Iowa. <laughs> so right. uh, 
this is in Winter Park, Florida, and and you know Metro Orlando, so it's right in the heart of things. Uh, it, it's a, a vibrant area, uh, an international area with 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 a, a diverse population, and Rollins has a, a a history of innovation and and uh, you know trying new things, doing doing new things. It's the first first uh, four year college in Florida. Uh, Stetson has some claim to being first, but I think they were actually an academy, not really a college right. when, when they started. So I think Rollins is, is legitimately the first college in Florida. And um, for me, it was a good fit. For my, Both my kids went to Rollins, and it was a good fit because it was small yep. and um, intimate. They could get you know a lot of one-on-one -on -one interaction with their professors. And I think they used to call it uh, the Harvard of the South. I don't think that <laughs> term is used much anymore. But but uh, it's just a, a quality education in a beautiful setting in a great region. Love it. Yeah. yeah. Very well said. What advice you know do you have for students you know who who are interested in in the publishing and the media business? Uh, do, you, do you have any thoughts for them as they want to pursue a career in this field? That's a hard question because. Um, I talked to uh, my U FTU journalism professor who lives at the Mayflower now. He's still still with us. And he said, I don't even know what journalism is anymore. He said, if I went back in a classroom, I wouldn't know how to teach it. Right. It's, it's about uh, shooting video now and, and, and getting online views. And, you know, when, when I was a journalism major, it was about getting out a newspaper. And... Um, but what I would say is that what journalism does for you is allows you to think critically, helps you think critically, helps you analyze facts, hones your research skills, um, which are useful things to know how to do in, in anything you do. And it also makes you kind of a generalist. It makes you interested in everything because if you're in journalism, you, there's no telling what you might be called upon to look into or write about. Right. And um, I would tell students that are interested in it to take it, not necessarily because you think you're going to get a job at a daily newspaper because that's just becoming less and less likely, but because the skills you get will help you in any, anything you do, right? Um, the, the, the things you learn how to do. I love it. You know, and, and Rollins um, has never had a journalism major, which is um, a lot of private schools don't because it's considered more of a trade than a you know, the academic subject. Right. Field of study. Yeah. But, you know, I haven't, I, I don't agree with that. I think it's, it's, a, um, it's like being an English major, except not creative writing, it's, right. you know, writing about real things. Right. That could be your next project. Work, That's right. Work, work on that. That's right. Anything I, you want to share that I didn't ask you or anything you want to just offer up either uh, business related or, or community related? Uh, well, as far as advice for students goes, maybe um, when I came back to college uh, when I was 60, <laughs> I appreciated it a lot more than I, than I did when I was 20, when I just spent a lot of time doing things I shouldn't do and not going to classes that I should have gone to. Uh, I would say try to get that mindset now because these are the best years of your life and um, there'll never be another time where, where you'll be able to just just learn and be around people your own age and and 
be away from home and just really appreciate it. And especially at a place like Rollins, you know, you know, it's, it's such a, such a, a unique place and, and such a special place to be. You appreciate it and enjoy every minute of it. Absolutely. That, that's fantastic advice. Well, Randy, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to be with us. Um, you're truly one of the good guys and uh, do amazing work um, and, and make an impact in Winter Park, probably in ways you didn't intend to, you didn't ask to, to, to do it. But, Hopefully um, in a good way. You do it in a good way. And your writing skills, you know, we probably didn't talk about that enough, but mo- much of, if not most of the publications um, that, that have articles and stories are, are written by you. And uh, you're just a darn good writer. Well, thank you, Sam. I appreciate you having me. And, and uh, you know, you do a great job at Rollins. One thing Rollins really does a great job at is town and gown, which it should do because it's part part of the city. But uh, I think everybody in Winter Park is proud of Rollins. And when they bring people from uh, outside, you know, relatives to visit, I mean, Rollins is, is one of Winter Park's jewels. Yes. Well, I couldn't agree more, but thank you for that. Well, thanks to uh, Randy Knowles from Winter Park Publishing for being with us today. Uh, Thank you all for tuning in to Rollins Around Town. A special thank you to DeLal for operating our board and uh, keeping us uh, going uh, on air. Um, To keep updated on our show and our guests, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Rollins Around Town and subscribe to our podcast, Rollins Around Town on Apple, Google, and Spotify. So with that, we thank you all for tuning in. Wish you all a great day. See you next week.